Thanks, Boggs. Thanks. I tell you, I think I've been invited now five or six times to preach, and every time I don't come for the preaching, I come for the music, man, and the, and the, and the worship and the liturgy, so you guys just don't realize how, how, you know, you probably do realize how blessed you have it. Now, uh, thanks for having me back uh, today. Um, some of you might be excited about that. Some of you might not be, but you stuck with me for 30 minutes nonetheless, so let's just get down to it. I want to continue our conversation today uh, that we started last week on some of the pitfalls and potentially uh, bl- potential blind spots for our uh, rising generation. Uh, Now this week I want to do that by discussing specifically with you digital technology and the rapid, fast expansion of that and explosion of that in all of our lives. And we're going to get to some of the serious problems that that has created very, very quietly in all of our lives in a moment. But before we get to some of the problems, some of the negatives of it, I think it'd be wise to start with the positives of it. Because sometimes in church, you can just have this tendency to go negative without acknowledging glory to God, some of the positives of it all. So um, let's, let's just start on the positive side because I think the positives of digital technology far outweigh the negatives. Uh, first and foremost, let's just start here. I believe, uh, and this is the first slide, I believe the Christian God is pro-technology. It's pro-technology, that's right. Here's how I know. Because Jesus gave us two commandments. The second one was to love your neighbor. And the first one was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your... (laughs) If you guys don't know that verse, then we're changing the sermon, all right? (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, mind, right? We love God with our minds. That means when we exercise our minds to great levels of sophistication, like for example, in technological innovation, we are actually worshiping God on his terms, You and I were created to create. In part, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. And so I believe that when we create wonderful technologies that can benefit uh, mankind and love our neighbor, we we are actually operating in our sweet spot as a species. And we're pretty good at it, (laughs) if you've noticed. I mean, okay, uh, right now on the palm of my hand, uh, I can pull out this smartphone and and I can uh, access a mass store of information on Google, right? Like I can literally say, hey, Siri, She's listening, right? And I can ask her to Google whatever I want to. We can figure out whatever we want to. Hey, in ancient days, man, that wasn't happening. Um, I hold in my hand right now the B-I-B-L-E, the best piece of literature in the history of literature, and I can access it immediately, just like any other great piece of literature, especially if I'm willing to pay a couple bucks for it. You can go to church online, right? You can, you can locate yourself anywhere on the planet Earth and get anywhere you want to on the planet Earth, right here in the palm of your hand, online. You can access the greatest pieces of art and the greatest music just by streaming it on your phone right now. I can call my mama in Winston-Salem, North Carolina and have a face-to-face conversation with her, right? I'm not gonna, you want me to do it? No, I'm not gonna do it. She'd be like, what are you doing? But it's, I could call her, I could talk to her face-to-face here, like eight hour drive away online. Thanks to digital technology, I can spy on my kids. I can monitor my finances. I can monitor my heart rate and my sleeping patterns. I can even find love by swiping right, man. Hashtag what a time to be alive, you know? <laughs> it's amazing. Now, not only is the Christian God pro-technology, but I also believe that when the Christian God incarnated himself in the flesh in the form of Jesus, Jesus was a techie. And I got research to prove that uh, for you. Uh, Jesus's uh, profession, pre-ministry, was a carpenter, or also known in the Greek as a tectone, right? A tech, can you hear it in the word right there already? A tectone. 
right? Now, um, the tectone is traditionally, you know, been translated as carpenter over the years, but if you look at it in the broader cultural context, it was actually a word that was used for a variety of similar professions like carpentry, masonry, sculpting, smiths, builders, engineers, and all these people were important to the village economy because they came up with creative solutions for agricultural problems and infrastructure problems. So even Jesus, before he started the whole itinerant ministry thing, you know, baptizing, healing, preaching, casting out demons, all that stuff, okay, he, even and Jesus, he was a techie. So can I just say something to all the techies in the room from like a pastor who is a non-techie real quick? Let me just encourage you. I believe you are the cutting edge. I do. So be bold, be brave, be daring, create, try, fail, peel yourself up off the ground, create, try, fail again, amaze us all. And in so doing, create technology that allows us to take medicine and business and culture and infrastructure and food, water and nourishment and Jesus to the ends of the earth. We need you, we do, amen. And, and, and I believe in you, I want you to know that. Now with all that being said though, right, let me just say this, some serious problems have arisen from digital technology, quickly because that's how it moves, really, really quickly. And I think it's done, they've arisen very, very quietly in fact, many of us have missed them. Now, I just wanna be clear from the start though. Um, I do not believe the problems with digital technology are in fact digital technology. You know what I believe the problem with digital technology is? You can go to the next slide here. I believe the problem with digital technology are all the warm bodies sitting around us right now. That would be you and me. We, we are the problem with digital technology because ultimately at the end of the day, we control how we use it for good or bad. And we control how much we use it, whether it becomes an addiction or an obsession in our lives. And for many of us, it has become an obsession. It's become an obsession that distorts our identity, an obsession that steals our time, that takes our peace. It's become an obsession that is beginning to disconnect us from God and those around us. Again, very, very quietly. Now, that's exactly what I wanna talk about today. I wanna to talk about how it specifically is disconnecting our relationships. And here's my thesis for the day. It's content heavy. You're just gonna see slides popping up as I talk about them. So take pictures, write them down, or just pay attention to me. It doesn't matter, however you roll. Okay, here's my kind of thesis statement. I believe our abuse of digital technology is crippling our ability to build deep relationships with both God and others. We're the most connected generation ever and the loneliest generation ever at the same time. And why? Because our addiction to digital connection is actually starving our need for that deeper, more authentic personal connection. It's become an obsession. Now I wanna prove that to you real quick. So would you do me a favor, play my reindeer games and just stand up with me, humor me for a second. Everybody stand up, all right. And here's what we're gonna do, we'll play a little game. I'm gonna say something about digital technology and if it's true of you, you just sit down. Okay, you can throw the first one up there on the screen. Um, if you've posted on social media or sent a text since the service has started, sit down. Okay, a little bit more than, of you than I expected. That's all right. Okay, next slide, next slide. If you regularly use four or more social media accounts, and here goes a lot of you, sit down. And by regularly, I mean like regularly. You may have like five or six. Oh, okay, okay, you guys aren't as bad as I thought. Maybe we should change sermon topics. If you, okay, oh man, if you sit at dinner or class or meetings with your phone, okay, watch me now, with your phone out in front of you on the table or the desk, or maybe on, on your leg tonight during the sermon, if you're right here, 
All right, survival of the fittest. Next one. This is kind of weird, but if you sleep with your phone on your nightstand or in the bed with you, sit down. A couple of strong ones left. Congratulations, all right. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. This is gonna eliminate the rest of you, all right? And it gets a little personal. But if you can't go to the bathroom without your phone, sit down. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, you're lying if you say that, okay. All right, you guys are the winners. Have a seat, have a seat, thank you. (laughs) Here's a few more uh, that I wrote down that I thought were pretty good, pretty interesting. Uh, If you check your phone first thing in the morning and or the last thing at night, you may have a little bit of a problem. Uh, If your spouse, kids, friends, or parents complain about how often you are on your phone, you might have a little problem. If you have mastered the art of texting without looking, like in class or at church, you might have a problem. If you get through an average of one season a week, you really got a problem. And uh, okay, and if you text and drive ever, just like ever, except at red lights, that's the one exception, right? <laughs> then you may have a problem. Now, now you see though, do you see? I know that was kind of a childish infantile game. I'm an expert at those, but do you see? You see sometimes we think we're using it, but really it's using us. Again, I just wanna be really, really clear with you. Digital technology um, will either be used by you or abused by you. And the scary thing about when it becomes abused is that abusers usually become addicts and addictions will absolutely positively destroy you. Let's talk about addictions uh, for a second. Here's what addictions do and kind of how they work. Addictions require more and more to get less and less until you're completely consumed by them. That's called the addiction cycle. Let's plug in a popular level addiction like uh, alcoholism for a second. The alcoholic needs more and more and more of the alcohol, right? Every single day, every single week, every single month to get less and less of that original buzz and high until they are completely consumed by it, until their life is, until their sobriety is, until their functionality is, until their finances are consumed, until their relationships begin to suffer from it. And sometimes until they put someone else or themselves six feet under the ground. It's an addiction, it can consume you. Now, I'm not trying to catastrophize this, but I really do believe digital technology can be that addicting, that consuming. You see, here's what it promises you. It promises you that you'll never be alone and that you can connect with hundreds and thousands of people all around the world. And to a certain degree, you can't. To a certain level of intimacy, you can. But what ends up happening is you end up spending so much time face to screen that you spend very little time face to face. It disconnects us. Uh, Simon Sinek, uh, you guys might've read his book or heard some of his stuff before. Brilliant uh, author and uh, social critic um, just uh, said this the other day on like a, a, like a video that was going viral on Facebook. There you go, you see where I spend my time. Uh, it, was, it was pretty fascinating. He said neuroscientists have now discovered that whenever we get on social media and we get like a like or an engagement or a comment, Uh, something happens in our brain, Uh, a neurochemical response, dopamine fires off. And you know what dopamine is? Uh, Dopamine is the pleasure chemical. It feels good. Okay, this is why you just find yourself all the time going to the phone, going to the phone, going to the phone. This is why when you're sad, 
Sometimes you'll just pull out the phone and you'll post something on Facebook. It won't even make any sense. Check out your Facebook memories or check out your time hop on Instagram and you'll be like, why did I even post that? Because you wanted some dopamine. You want a little attention, right? You're like, I'm sad and I'm eating ice cream and I'm lonely. And then all of a sudden, like, 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 don't be sad, you're awesome, eat some more ice cream and you got the attention you needed, right? And you got the dopamine you needed. Now, Senate goes on to point this out. He says, dopamine is the very same Uh, brain chemical that fires off when people smoke, drink, and gamble. And yet, in our culture, we have age restrictions on smoking, drinking, and gambling, but very little restriction on digital technology. Now, do you think it's, it's time we start acknowledging the danger in this? You see, here's what's happened to us, okay? And this has happened to all of us. We all struggle this to a different degree, so we just need to face it, all right? We've unleashed an entire generation, us, on life, which is hard, with instant access to dopamine. And so it's undermining our ability to cope and relate well. Hey, you get sad, right? So instead of confiding in a friend or instead of getting across a table from a brother or sister in Christ who's connected to the Holy Spirit and can speak wisdom, God's wisdom into your life, what do we do? We, okay, Get it back out, we turn to the dopamine. You're at the dinner table and you've met a new friend or you're hanging out with an old friend and all of a sudden the awkward kind of silence comes and you know, so what do you do? Instead of grinding through the awkwardness and going to a deeper level of intimacy, we turn to the dopamine, face down. You get a little free space in your schedule. And so instead of spending that time going on an adventure outside, imagine that with one of your friends. You lay down on the couch, pull out a screen, and you turn to the dopamine. These are like pacifiers for us, aren't they? Haven't you found found yourself there before? I I find myself there all the time, just going to the phone, going to the phone, going to, hey, next time you go out to dinner with friends, I challenge you, right? And don't do it tonight after uh, Kairos, because then all of you will be doing it and it won't work. But I challenge you, I want you to take your phone and, uh, okay, you scared me for a second, man. Uh, I want you to take your phone and I want you to put put it like in your purse. Okay, or leave it in your car. All right, just do it. And like, not, don't tell your friends you're gonna do it because then they'll do it too or then they'll feel guilty the whole time. Just secretly and quietly do it and then watch the table around you. Just watch. It'll be an interesting social experiment. Huh. You, you see, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at? See what I'm getting at? These have become addictions. These have become consuming. It, it, these have become unhealthy to us. Now, you don't even have to be a Christian in this room to acknowledge tonight that that is a problem. But if you are a Christian, then we all have to acknowledge together that this can be a very, very significant spiritual problem. Because I believe that healthy relationships are at the very center of Christianity. In fact, I believe Christianity is impossible without healthy relationships. God has put relationships at the center of everything and anything that pulls us off or that cripples our relationships ultimately pulls us off center. Now what I wanna do here for the next few minutes is I wanna walk you through the story of the scriptures to show you how God literally centers his whole story around this. And as I do, my hope and prayer is that the importance and significance of relationships just kinda weighs heavy on your shoulders, it convicts you, and perhaps we'll all walk out the other side of this story better because of it better neighbors, better friends, better family members, fathers, mothers, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. All right, let's start at the beginning. 
Um, in, actually, let's start before the beginning. In the beginning, before the beginning, there was who? Not a trick question, it's safe to say it in church. As God, right? There was God, good God. And our God, no, okay, I want you to know, our God, the Christian God is a relational God. He's a relational God. How do I know? First John 4 tells us that God is love, right? Love. And love is impossible without a relationship. Love is impossible without a giver and a receiver of love. Love is impossible without an object and a subject of the love. Now that's in part why I believe God created us in order to share in loving relationship with him. But even before us, even before he created us, he existed in all eternity before in love. His essence was love. How? How? Well, that's where we get to the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. All right, now this is kind of a nuanced and complicated Christian doctrine. It'll take you a lifetime to get your head wrapped around it and then you realize you know nothing about it, right? It's just one of those kind of things. Um, it's the idea that there's one God that has three personhoods, right? We believe in one God, three personhoods, Father, Son, uh, Holy Spirit, um, one equals three, right? Again, it's, it's kind of tough. But St. Augustine says something brilliant about it 1600 years ago. He said, even though the doctrine of the Trinity can be kind of like, you know, complicated and hard to wrap your brain around, it is absolutely positively essential if God's very nature is to be love. Because again, love requires a plurality, right? So for all of eternity, God has existed in love. God the Father has perfectly loved the Son and the Spirit. And God the Son has perfectly loved the Father and the Spirit. And God the Spirit has perfectly loved and served the Father and the Son. I think that's beautiful. And are you with me? You're wrapping your minds around that? For, for those of you who are not, let's just keep it simple. Our God, the Christian God, is a relational God. It's core. Now, that was before the beginning. Then in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the plants and trees and all the animals, and then he created us. And our nature, too, is relational. Again, that's in part what it means to be created in the image of God. Part of what it means to be created in the, in the image of God is that we are his image bearers. We are to image him. We're his physical representation in the world. We're his kingdom priests. We reflect the praises of the world up and the glories of heaven down. We're the body of Christ. We're as close as people get to Jesus, the side of heaven. That's part of it. The other part of being created in the image of God doesn't mean we look like him. No, no, no. But it means we share some of his divine attributes like our creative capacities that we talked about earlier or like our relational nature. Check out the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam walks with God why don't you think about that for a second? Adam and God, the scriptures tell us they, they walked together in the garden and their relationship was, was untainted by sin at that time. And yet God looks at Adam and he says, it is not good. Which is strange in the song of creation because creation sings out with, it is good, God created, and it is good, God created, and it is good, God created, and it is good. And all of a sudden God looks at Adam and he says, it is not good for Man to be alone. And so he creates man, uh, creates a man's partner for him. And there's Adam and Eve. Now, one pastor interpreted it like this, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, this proves that we have both a God-sized and human-sized hole in our hearts that needs fulfilling. We need both vertical and horizontal relationships in life, healthy horizontal and healthy vertical relationships if we are to live a life on mission for God and fulfilled in God. And again, I, I, just, I just find that ringing so true in my own life. Now, all right, let's keep the story moving. You got God who is relational. He created us. We are also relational. And then we messed it all up. We rebelled against God, right? We sinned. And immediately the effect of sin was what? Relational destruction. 
Adam and Eve's vertical relationship with God was severed. They got literally kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden, between the two of them, there was blame, there was resentment, there was enmity for the first time. And isn't that what happens every time when we sin? It's relational destruction, either vertical and horizontal or one or the other. It's almost like that's the devil's goal. I'm preaching on um, spiritual warfare starting this week and the next three weeks at my church. And I've been studying the devil and it just seems like his schemes always lead to that, relational destruction. He's trying to tear us apart. In fact, I think that's what hell is. Hell is the selfishness and loneliness, the self-centeredness that shrivels the soul. There uh, There are a lot of scary images in the Bible about hell. And honestly, I don't know which ones are metaphorical, which ones are literal. I mean, take, leave that up to the theological, to scholars to, to debate. But what I know for sure is what the dominant trait of hell will be. And that will be that it is a place completely devoid of the presence of God. In other words, the vertical relationship will be gone. And if God's not there, that means love is not there, which means horizontal relationships will slowly but surely disintegrate. It's the loneliness that shrivels the soul. Now that most certainly is not the good news of God, so let's move to that. What was God's solution for our sinful rebellion? Oh man, it's my favorite part of the Bible, baby. It's a new relationship. It's a new relationship with Jesus Christ that can literally change everything. Restore you, restore you vertically with God, restore you horizontally with others. I love how the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our reconciler. He reconciles us with God. You know what that word means? It has this picture of a third party mediator coming between two parties who have a dispute between one another and just working it out for them. Helping them settle their dispute. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Now on top of that, he doesn't just heal our vertical relationship. He also teaches us and shows us and empowers us how to have horizontal relationship, doesn't he? He shows us through his cross-shaped, self-sacrificial, loving life. He shows us through his two great commandments, love the Lord your God and love others. Again, it's almost like it all points to relationships. Now, you know the story of Jesus. He dies, he rises from the dead, he ascends to heaven and then God unleashes the church. The church, that's his next, that's plan A, right? It's us, we're the body of Jesus and he unleashes the church, which is really a network of relationships. The church is a family, And what I find so fascinating about what Jesus says about the church right before he dies, John 13 and 17, the upper room with his disciples and then the garden when he prays is that, uh, it's so fascinating. It's that if we just get these two relational traits right among us, then the world would actually be attracted to us. It's almost as if Jesus insinuates in these two passages I mean, yeah, we're supposed to go out and evangelize, but if we just got these two traits right internally, then the world would just come. They would just flock in the doors. It's love and unity, right? Love and unity. In John 13, he says, they'll know you by your love for one another. And then in John 17, he prays to God and he says, God, may they be one as we are one. I and you, you and me, may they be in us so that the world will know that you sent me. There's a challenge, church. Now we do live in the church age right now, but that is not the end of the story because one day we will receive the gift of heaven. Thank Jesus Christ for it. And you know what heaven is? Heaven is the perfection of relationships. Perfection of it because we'll be in the full presence of God. I love Revelation 22, three, how it 
how it describes heaven. And Chris, man, and anybody else in this room who've lost a loved one recently and you know they are there, man, I hope this verse just ministers to your soul. This is what John, Jesus' best friend, says about heaven. He says, no longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And listen to this, listen to this. And they will see his face. They will see his face. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I struggle with intimacy with God. I want it so bad. I wanna feel his loving arms around me. I just wanna, I wanna feel his presence tangibly in the room. Sometimes I pray, God, just write on the board, say a word, knock a book off the desk. Just show me, show me you're out there. You know though, you know? And right here, it tells me one day I'll see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night, no need for lamps, no need for sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they, they, you know who they is? It's the fellowship of the saints. It's not just us, it's your father-in-law, it's my grandpa. And they will reign forever and ever. <laughs> what an amazing picture. It's a global village. There will be no more isms, no more sexism, no more racism. No more elitism. And finally, we'll get to connect with each other fully. Do you understand that? Like right now, you think you know the person sitting next to you. You think you know them, but you don't. Not fully, not completely, not with complete vulnerability because there's this thing in between you right now called shame and insecurity and egotism and pride, all destruction, uh, all, all effects of sin. But one day that'll be gone and you'll get to connect. Think of the most intimate and loving relationship you have in life right now. That is just a clogged pipe shooting out muddy water compared to the way love will flow freely and fully between us someday in heaven where the manifest presence of God is right there and we'll see his face in everything. It'll just be love. It'll be consumed by his essence, which is love. Sorry, I started preaching there for a second, man. Um, now, now that's the story. That's the story. That's the story, Right? And with all that being said, let me just go back to the line that I said at the beginning because maybe it'll make even more sense now. Christianity is impossible without healthy relationships. God put relationships at the center of everything and anything that cripples our relationships pulls us off center. And I believe that when we become obsessed and addicted right here, it can disconnect us. It is disconnecting us quietly. So what are we to do about it? Let's just throw them away, right? Become hermits in the, you know, in the desert. No, it's okay, no, no. Okay, these are good things. This is a good thing, it's a good thing. So we have, to, we have to learn how to manage these and leverage these with wisdom. So let me give you three pieces of practical advice that I've actually been practicing in my life over the last six months as I've gone through this addiction detox that maybe you could apply to yours and we're done. Uh, first, first. Challenge number one, we must intentionally get, intentionally is the key word here. We must intentionally give our presence because digital technology steals our presence. I read recently that the average American checks their phone 46 times a day, 46. That's three times per waking hour and it goes up the younger you are. 
How in the world are you ever supposed to connect with somebody or have a decent conversation or go on a romantic date or like anything, get any work done when your consciousness is so chopped up every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, just, you know. Hey, you know how I know that this steals our presence? Because texting and driving is a thing. I mean, like we would rather put our lives and other people's lives on the line because we can't wait for five minutes to check what Lady Gaga put on Twitter, you know? I mean, it can wait. Okay, it's probably interesting, I'm sure, but it can wait. So I'll be, I'll be vulnerable for a second. Um, so I, when I come home after a really, really long day and I'm tired, uh, the, the thing I wanna do is I just wanna lay on the couch and pull out a screen, right? Couldn't just drone off, just not think, right? I mean, you'd, you'd probably do this too. But I got a two-year-old and uh, my two-year-old, doesn't like when I do that because he wants his daddy's attention. He hasn't had his daddy's attention all day long. And I owe it to him, I'm his father. And so uh, what he started doing, and this is when I knew it was a problem. What he started doing was, uh, was he'd start coming up to me and he'd start taking his hand and like I'd be sitting here on my phone or something, he'd start taking his hand and grabbing my face like by the cheek and pulling my attention to him until my eyes looked at him. And he would say, dada, dada, dada. Like, dad, your world's right here. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. So, so bottom line here, bottom line. Every second we spend face to screen is another second we can't spend face to face. So let us be intentional about giving our presence. Let us, let us create, let's create screen-free zones around our most important, uh, important relationships. Like God, when we're at church. Like our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're at our Bible reading groups like our family, like maybe some of the non-Christians that you've brought into your life and you're investing in, maybe the, some of the people that you're ministering to. Just those important, you know what those most important relationships are, right? Just create some screen-free zones around them. Like keep, keep, keep the phone out of the room. Here's what I did. Uh, when, I, when I figured out I was at my worst on this, I scheduled 10 hours of free, screen-free time into my week for my son. Put it on my schedule because I was that serious about detoxing. How serious are you? Create, create some boundaries. All right, that's first. Second, challenge two. We must intentionally build empathy because digital technology neglects it, neglects it. Now I believe empathy is a muscle uh, that you build over time. It's a skill, an acquired skill. And uh, you can grow it, it can also atrophy if you don't use it. The University of Michigan did a study not long ago and uh, they found that all college students that graduated after the year 2000 are 40% less empathetic, huge study, 40% less empathetic than those who graduated before. And you know the reason why at the bottom is because we spend more time face to screen than face to face, the previous generations. And again, face to face time is where you learn empathy, where you learn how to understand people and put yourself in their shoes. Now I think that's a tragedy that we have to watch out for because is there any more important trait to love to being able to love your neighbor than empathy, especially your neighbor who's different or especially your neighbor who is an enemy. You gotta be able to put yourself in their shoes. So here's a, here'd be my challenge, uh, my really practical accompanying step with this. Um, try and handle as much business and as much conversation and as much conflict as possible face-to-face. And in an age where it's easy to handle conflict via text or email or something like that, try and handle it face-to-face. Because not only is that gonna build your relationship, it's also gonna build your empathy and pay off for you long-term. 
If you can't handle it face-to-face, get on FaceTime. If you can't handle it on FaceTime, pick up the phone. These things do make calls. I swear, I did, I've done it once. All right, last. Challenge number three, we must intentionally cultivate humility because digital technology obstructs it. In a day and age where we're all expected to manage three or four real-time digital platforms of ourselves, as if we're that important. Do you know that uh, statistics have, have, have shown that the average young adult will take 25,000 pictures of themselves before we die? <laughs> Did you know that the 2013 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year was selfie. Come Lord Jesus, you know? Say a practical step with this one. Carve out screen free time with God, regularly, daily, because there is nothing that will humble you quicker than spending time with the king of the universe. All right, with all that being said, uh, let me close by saying this. Digital technology is a good thing. I'm telling you, it's a good thing. It's a great thing, but we are human beings. And so like human beings, we have a tendency to take good things and turn them into ultimate things. But digital technology was never meant to fill the God-sized or human-sized hole in your heart, was it? So let's not make it. Let's just live what's so obvious before us all. It's obvious. Hey, when you're sitting around the dinner table with six of your friends, who's more important? The dinner table party or what Connie posted? Oh, she posted a picture of her dinner on Facebook, on Instagram. What's more important? Okay, what's more important? The beautiful woman sitting on the couch next to you, your significant other, your fiance, your wife, or that dude, Joe, you graduated high school with. He brews his own beer in his basement. I mean, <laughs> okay, how about this one? How about this one? What's healthier for you? What's healthier for you? Going home this weekend and finishing season three or spending a half hour with God. Drawing nearer to Jesus, awakening the Holy Spirit inside of your soul. <laughs> the answer is so simple, right? So church, let us be different. Let us be countercultural, and let us leverage digital technology for the glory of God and for the good of others rather than to the destruction of ourselves and the destruction of our relationships. All right, we're gonna transition into our 120 seconds right now. And I'm just gonna remind you of those three practical steps. And perhaps one of those is one you need to take tonight. Do you need to give more presence to a specific relationship in your life by creating boundaries around it where you can unplug and plug into them? Do you need to build empathy by being more intentional of having face-to-face conversations, by getting in front of real people Or do you need to cultivate humility in your heart? In a selfie world, do you need to unselfie and refocus your eyes and refocus your heart on who the world truly revolves around? Take 120 seconds.